Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Brian Zivotek. As a 25-plus-year veteran teacher, Brian has served in many roles, from middle school science teacher to department chair, instructional technology specialist, STEM coach, and PBL coach. In 2012, he was one of 10 teachers honored as National Teacher Innovators by PBS and the Henry Ford Foundation. He became a two-time author in April 2022 with his new book, Recalculating, and his other book, Nothing More, which is a 40-day devotional. He's always considered himself a lead learner. He's a half comedian, half philosopher, and he tries to make his events fun and impacting. The best Trojan horse for reflection is comedy, he says. He lives by the thought, until you have engagement, you have nothing. He loves helping people, but teachers hold a special place in his heart. He's here for them. He's also worked in youth ministry for 20 plus years. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dana. I'm I'm really excited to be here. It's weird listening to my own bio. I mean, I wrote it and I'm like, yes, you know, so <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It's weird as a podcaster yourself being on the other end as well. Uh, well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to grow it. Man, so, um, you know, being 25 years in, I think it took me, it probably took me 20 years to realize I was in a trench for maybe five to 10 of those years. Uh, and then as I, I'll get in, we'll get into a little bit later, you know, my daughter was born and in my forties. Uh, and so it was this sort of shock that, whoa, you know, I, I kind of had taken a look at my self in the mirror and, and thought, wow, what, what's happening, you know? And, and I love teaching. I love kids. I, I, you know, I love the profession and I want to make a change, but there was something that was happening to me in the midst of, mm-hmm all those years and that I, I didn't realize I was burned out. I, my health wasn't good. I'd come home and, you know, crash on the couch and, and binge watch TV or something. And I think the reason was I felt like I deserved it. And as mm-hmm. twisted as that sounds, you know, we have these self-sabotaging thoughts, that, like I deserve to sit and do nothing because of how exhausted I am. And, and the fact yeah. is that wasn't serving me. It wasn't actually increasing my energy. It wasn't helping me undo the damage. I know this is starting to sound like a skincare commercial from the, from the late nineties, you know, but like, <laughs> but really that was it. I, I, I realized what am I doing? I'm making it worse. And I can't do that. If, if I'm, you know, 40 something with an infant mm-hmm. and what's that going to look like for her? If her dad can't, I mean, <laughs> I still can't really climb the monkey bars, but I'm working on it. You know, it's like those mm-hmm. things I want to be able to do when she runs to me. I want to be able to throw her up so that she almost hits her head on the ceiling and then catch her, you know, and scare my wife. That's that's the goal as a dad. Right. You know, so um, I think it's one of those things that I, I, I had that realization that I need to be uh, I need to be available. I need to be um alive right and and i also need Mm -hmm. to be able so it just started this sort of soul searching uh, for myself like how did i get here uh maybe that's not even that important and something i talk about in the book like get judging how you got here is probably less important than figuring where do you want to be and how do i get there 
you know? Um, And so going back, it was helpful for me to look at, oh, I got here because of, you know, this or that, but it was more important to say, I need to start messing with my energy and my attitude and how do I make the day count and not completely wipe me out, you know? So I think, it was then, then it was a process, you know, and I think it's going to be a process the rest of my career and the rest of my life to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Yeah. And you said you also had a few, uh, those trench times with your students. Uh, so tell me about a time, maybe, uh, you know, when you turned around, um, maybe a difficult student, uh, that you were working with. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I think we always have these opportunities, right? No matter how long we're in education. And I had one really early on in my career, probably first two, three years. I had a student, this is back when we were still retaining kids. I don't know if that's the way it is where you are, but we really don't retain many kids up until high school anymore. And there was this, this one student and he was, you know, rough kid and he wanted to be perceived as a rough kid. And so he's, he's in my class and he's not going to do anything just because, right. I'm a guy, he's a guy, apparently he hasn't had some good experience there and, and he's just rackety schmackety, whatever sounds you want to make up there. And, and I just was frustrated. And I think the day that I, I lost it in a passive aggressive comedian sort of way, we were walking yeah. the kids to lunch and I just turned and stared at him with the biggest dumb smile on my face. Um, and it was cheesy. And he, he's like, stop it. What do you, you know, what are you smiling at me? What's, and, you know, he starts getting ready to maybe fling some insults. And sure. then I see the corner of his mouth crack a smile. And from that day on, he was like, wait a minute, this guy's a little nuts. And he might actually like me. And he was a completely different kid. You know, I'm, yeah. He mentioned it involved with youth ministry. His parents were like, you know, Hey, anywhere you want to take this kid. So he, I, I'd bring him to church and we'd go fishing. I mean, it was crazy. The kid who was a thorn in my side became like, kind of like my little buddy. And, um, you know, fast forward 20 years, he went through, had a successful career in the Navy and he's married and his kids and like crazy, you know, and then just the other day, like this is maybe two weeks ago, uh, we have a student and, um, Again, here I'm in New York, so I don't know if the classifications are the same everywhere. Uh, but he's he's an eight one one student. He's got some emotional issues going on that make it challenging for him to succeed in some classes, you know, in some environments. And he's just pushing this button uh, to make noise in class and just dang, just get constantly trying kind of to be a little bit annoying. And uh, in the past, I would have been like, dude you know, you're going to have to go back to that other environment or whatever the point system is. If you've all had that experience with those behavior modification plans and, and that's kind of the last straw. Right. And I thought, wait a minute, he's stuck. He doesn't know what to do and he doesn't have the skills to ask for it in the right way. And so I had this moment and I'm, you know, at 48 years old, proud of this (laughs) self-awareness moment. Right. Um, Where I thought, wait a minute, I want to help him. And he wants help. Why can't we just yeah. come together on that? So I walked yeah. over and I I said to him, like, I realize you're pushing this button that makes sound over and over and over because you're stuck. And I was like, he's a middle schooler. So I said, I want to help you and you want help. Mm-hmm. Can I just, can you just tell me? Like, you know, I feel like my daughter sometimes use your words, you know, it was that same concept, but I was meeting him where he was instead yeah. of doing what maybe some teachers sometimes do is they're like, that's it. You are now over the line in my world. And therefore you need to leave my world. Like, no, I want to make a difference in his life. And, and, uh, you know, I've shared this story about 10 times everywhere I go, because I love this kid. He he's bright. 
does he have some issues that probably aren't his fault from what, you know, the adults in his life exposed him to did whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't need to know those things, but uh, I just need to meet him where he is and then kind of think what's behind the behavior. And so that was one of those things of like, man, that, that impacted me. Um, and, and I, I believe it impacted him, you know, so got to keep our eyes open for those things. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, meeting a child where they are, um, instead of removing them from the situation, um, that doesn't really help, um, when you're sending them to the office. Now for those kids who are on 504s or IEPs, you know, it's good to, you know, give them that walk break, um, you know, the time where they're just able to kind of collect themselves if they need that. Um, but, really, um, you know, not disciplining for behavior that may seem like it's non-compliant because, you know, it's about building relationships like you mentioned yeah, with both I, of these kids. I think it's interesting though, that, um, I, I would say a fair argument to this that would come from a lot of other educators is how do you have time to do that when there's X number of kids in the room? And, and granted, it is much more challenging. Uh, this is a class that I co-teach with a colleague. So as soon as I started to engage that student, he began to float, you know, and, and um, so I get it, you know, like, it's not always easy to do that either. You know, I can see here's somebody that's watching or listening to this going, yeah, but in my class and I get it, it doesn't, but can we, how can we find those moments where maybe we could do a little bit better? You know, I think is a good point of growth. So I do mention um, in your bio, so you put out two books, um, in April, and we'll talk about the educational book, uh, Recalculating. Um, so tell me a little bit about the story of writing it and uh, how it addresses teacher burnout and uh, really teacher retention and what they can do um, in terms of either staying in a role that they're in or a similar role or maybe looking for another role in education. As we mentioned in the pre-chat, my book, I've stories of resilient educators also kind of talks a little bit about that piece of, sure. you know, finding your why. So I think our books ah. do kind of have that story that are helping those teachers as, you know, we're now at the end of the 22, 23 school year and, you know, not as quite as many teachers have left um, this school year, but, you know, there are, there are several educators leaving the profession every year. So so talk to yeah. me a little bit about the book and the story behind it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of, um, <laughs> A lot of that came from that experience I mentioned with my daughter and then thinking, wow, yeah. I can't be the only one. And and I remember sitting on my couch just, just a few free, feet in front of me here when we we went on lockdown and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help a, a then 18 month to two year old uh, deal with being, you know, being home with dad, which is great, you know, but I'm trying to teach yeah. at the same time, you know, and I thought I've always been a lover of technology. And so um I didn't really struggle a whole lot making that leap, but I knew a lot of my colleagues did. And so as I got thinking about that, I knew it was, it, it wasn't going to be a native switch to a different platform. It was going to be added on top of the stresses and anxieties of the pandemic, as well as where they were at teaching. So it was just going to be this like one, two, three punch. And it was not going to be good if they yeah. didn't have somebody to help, you know? So that's kind of where the book came from. And then it, it morphed as I went, um, I start off with this thing that I call the hero's mindset, which is we, we've all probably heard of the hero's journey. But the point of that is that um, I, I forget the, guy, the guy's name, I think it's Steve Chandler. He says, no one's coming. And it's, it's meant to be a comforting thought, right? No one's coming to save you. 
it's up to you. And so the idea yeah. that I had was, you know, the hero of the story has to own the story. They have to own the journey. They have to face the villain. And and you can look at everything that's going on in education and you can blame a million people. But uh, that that might make you feel better for a short period of time, but it isn't going to solve the deep things that really matter to you and your family. If you're burned out at work, your family's suffering too. And the more you realize yeah. that, your health, your family, then you're like, wow, I need to do something. And that's the moment where you kind of step into that hero of your own journey role. So I think that that was one piece of that puzzle. And then I kind of realized that it wasn't just my job, that it it was flowing through all areas of life. It was my health. It was my mindset. It was, you know, what I was doing with my free time, as I mentioned before. And so recalculating is that the metaphor of the, uh, you know, the GPS in the car, you're, you're taking a trip and you got off track, you know, you got off the wrong exit and oh crap, you know, now uh, the car's like recalculating, which always has that, you know, so- somewhat condescending tone that you're the one who took the wrong, you know, wrong course. But the point is it doesn't matter is I feel like for a lot of people, education, the goal shifted, um, not that they got off track. It was like, wait a minute. I don't know that I'm going for the same end goal that maybe everybody else, or I was when I first started. And so that shift, you have to kind of recalculate, what do you really want? What do you want out of life? What do you want out of your career? What do you want out of, you know, every, every aspect of life. And and when you go through it in a holistic way, then it changes that paradigm of what do I do next? And, And I think, you know, as you mentioned this, the, the Forbes article that came out right at the early part of the pandemic, like, Spring 2020, I think, said 55% of educators have considered leaving this year alone. And how many of them actually left? I don't know, but that that number works out to be the millions, right? And mm-hmm. so um, th- there's a, there's an old, back in the 70s, Albert Hirschman wrote this, this paper called um, Exit Voice and Loyalty. And it was the state of people in the decline of, he applied it to governments, but it applies to or any organization that's on the decline. And in education, I think a lot of people feel that way. And I, I had read that. And so I wrote about it in the book that I noticed people were just leaving. They were like, I can't take it anymore. I got to get out. And and I honor that. You still need to heal, right? Maybe you chose in the midst of it all to speak up like I did because like, hey, I'm not going to leave right now, but I want to I want to use my voice to make a difference. And then there were those people um, – who are just going to suck it up. And so I I see this sometimes, you know, on my, um, it's it's in the book, you know, for those getting out, sticking it out or um, stressing out, you know, but that was, I I wish I could remember who the other author was added the fourth one, which was neglect. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you know, there are people who are so burned out that they are neglecting connecting with kids or really engaging, you know what I mean? And, and I don't say that from a shame condemnation. Oh, you know, you're neglecting your job. I get it. You're fried. And so it's all the more reason you need to figure out and find a path to recalculate back to what you want. And so short story long, that's kind of where the book came from and what it attempts to address uh, for those people that are want to look at life holistically and say, this is about me. Uh, and I, part of me is an educator, but it's not all of me. Yeah. And that's true. Like it's, um, you see those people that stay in it until they might be like five years from retirement and they're just going through the motions and you can tell 
Yeah. Um, and then there's <laughs> those the people. Yeah. And then there's those people who, you know, um, maybe chose a different path in education in the past few years uh, because of their, um, you know, re recalculating, recalibrating and, and finding their why. So um, yeah, I think both of the stories that we've written about kind of how we've um, navigated, I think some of the challenges in education right. and looking at life holistically um, can make a difference. Uh, if uh, listeners would like to pick up your book, um, I assume that's on Amazon and through your website as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, we'll kind of continue that burnout conversation uh, just in the sense of how can teachers really know if they're burning out or if they're like at the cusp of burning out? Uh, what are some of those uh, warning signs? So I think when you start to look at uh, your morning might be, might be a good symbol, right? Or, or a good time to take that temperature. When you, if you get up and you're dreading the day, um, it, it's time, you know, and, and look, if it's Friday before your spring break and, and you teach middle schoolers, I, I get that everybody's going to dread those crazy yeah. days, you know, um, the day after Halloween, you know, we all know those anti holidays for, for educators, but when it's routine day in and day out, um, I would say I noticed that my Sunday night sleep was horrible. I was already about like, I, I would tell my wife, don't, plan anything for Sunday after 4 p.m. Like we're not going to dinner. We're not having anybody over because my brain needs to start shifting. And that might be a sign that 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 you're getting anxious. You're getting and and, and you're not going to be rested. You're not going to be everything. So so maybe that's one. Another one that I this is a pet peeve of mine. And I a lot of uh, a lot of teachers, particularly in the elementary, might struggle with this. If you're taking so much of your job home that you are uh, not living your own life with your own family yeah. and t attending to your own health on the weekends and, and every evening, then there, that's a problem. You're going to burn yeah. out. You probably already are. And I would say, you know, like, I'm going to oversimplify this. I, I mentioned this before. Your identity is, is not as a teacher. Uh, it, it is a portion of your identity, but when you accept it as all, and then grab the, the former social narrative that every teacher does this, you're going to burn out. And so you are free to to define and um, and design what life as an educator looks like. And um, a lot of people that could be very freeing and they're going to have a hard time with that. Like I just made a decision that if that homework assignment, if that project wasn't worth <laughs> stealing nine hours of my health and family. And when you phrase it like that, you start to yeah. see, okay, maybe there's another way to give kids the experience, the feedback that I can do right in class. And yeah. I think that's part of it is seeing it's, there's a possibility to still get everything you want, everything those kids need and just not kill yourself in the process. Yeah. And I think also that comes with time and kind of realizing like where to put your priorities and that not everything needs to be graded. You know, I, I work with some younger teachers this year and they, are, you know, grading everything where they're, you know, they have a pile of papers they take home. And I used to do that many years ago, but yeah, um, it's also like realizing, yeah, like you said, I really like that piece about don't define yourself as a teacher. It is just a part of you. It is not your everything. Right. 
<laughs> but that's not the story that society tells us that yeah. other teachers exude. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like, well, this is your badge of honor. It will, mm-hmm. the, the bad, that badge comes with not a little pin yeah. for your shirt, but a dagger. You know what I mean? In okay. some cases it's, yeah. it's not healthy and we need to, we need to talk about it because yeah. expecting teachers to just suck it up because this is what happened 20 years ago is doesn't, doesn't help them in 10 years when they're fried and um and they still have a mortgage and and a family you know i'm we need to start thinking of the teacher as a whole person too yeah yeah so um what is something every teacher could do quickly to change the dynamic of their job you talked about the uh five p's um that uh people can kind of go into each of those categories and look at yeah, so I'm I'm you're gonna put me on the spot to remember my own stuff, which is was just funny. But uh, <laughs> as I so number one is personality. Is there uh-huh. are people who are not enjoying their job because yeah. it's it doesn't fit your personality. I just had this conversation with an admin um, in my building, and she's like, you know, there are teachers in this building, middle school, uh, maybe that don't belong with middle schoolers. If you don't yeah. love the weird and you're not, you don't own the weird. Yeah. Go to high school or elementary, right? I love second grade up. Um, and before that, I'm just like, yeah, uh, don't touch me. You know, they're cute, but <laughs> cute from a distance, right? Like, but yeah. there are people who, the second you meet them, I mean, I think everybody's like, yeah, do you teach kindergarten? <laughs> because, <laughs> I, you know, I just feel like you have snacks and I can wipe my hands on your on your dress. You know, like it just <laughs> that's what happens there, right? So. That's number one. Um, I think position is part of that. Uh-huh. And that, um, so I was a seventh grade science teacher forever, it feels like. And I love that job. I love that age. If it's my personality, that's my, you know, that's my topic. But as I began to find opportunities to do the instructional coach and the PBL coach and the, um, and, and some of those things like now with STEM is mm-hmm. part of me that I love crazy and I love learning and I love shiny and tech. And so now I get to do three, you know, 3d design and I get to do, um, scratch video games. And like, it's so it's life to me because of the position. So I think that's another, uh, interesting one. If maybe you feel like you don't have that mobility in your career at this point in time, then, uh, people, there might be somebody just around the corner, around the hall that, is just because of who they are, they they make your job fun. And so I, I mentioned about that there's another seventh grade science teacher and and he's a little bit older than I am. It's a second career for him. And it's a little bit sophomoric in a sense that we rip on each other and mess with each other. So he'd have Pandora running in his classroom and he'd step out to use the restroom and, and I'd go over and change the channel to like Broadway show tunes or something and then leave because we have a common planning and the kids yeah. would come in and, and they're like, what is going on in here? You know, and it was fun. It, it's yeah. so like this banter back and forth and gave life to the job. It may not be in your job description, but it certainly helps, you know, when you can rely on people like that. Um, so now I'm struggling with the, well, okay. So, uh, personality position, people, your pedagogy. pedagogy yeah. yeah. So this is, this is a uh, tread lightly area for me. And that is, um, a lot of people, it's hard to tell a teacher who's run their own classroom for any length of time. Like they really know this is my world. This is my classroom. These are my kids. This is how we do things. But Sometimes we alluded to this a minute ago, the things that you've chosen to do are part of a story of yesteryear, that this is the way it was done when I was a kid. And therefore I'm going to do it too. Uh, I I think that's, uh, I don't know how to sugarcoat it. It's stupid. And until we can 
maybe question that a little bit and go, wait a minute. Um, I would say this about grades. Grades aren't feedback. They're more of an autopsy. And um, Mm -hmm. most of the time we give a kid a grade and we're hoping that the assignment is done. But if we really looked at kids and looked at skills, I would say you don't even need to grade it, but you need to have a conversation of feedback with a kid where you're kind of giving them that, Hey, let's, let's take a look at this and say, you know, Oh, your writing style here is actually pretty good. But I think, what do you think you could have done to improve that? Or what word could you have used if you're ELA? I don't know, but if that conversation, which takes time and it takes some relational currency there is probably more valuable than a number grade that seems a little bit arbitrary on the top of a paper goes in a grade book and then we forget that it ever existed. Now, I know that's horrible practice. I also know that every teacher on the planet has done that, right? Like, oh, you yeah. turned it in. I graded it. I gave it back. Let's never speak of it again um, and we'll move on, right? But when we look at kids as human beings who are developing skills to make them happy and successful and whatever in life, we yeah. might do things differently. And so that's a really challenging conversation to have with somebody who who hasn't yet seen that because they label the smart kids, the smart kids based on their grade. And, and I won't go to the other extreme, but what if it was all again about meeting them where they are and helping them acquire skills that were going to help them in the next phase of life, whatever that is, you know, seven or 17. So, um, this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network, better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbettercom slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Pedagogy. And then, Oh, what was the fifth one is one that wasn't in the book. Um, and I know I mentioned it in the pre-chat and I'll have to look back through my notes, but, uh, it's, it's probably personal development. If I had to throw, uh, pull that one out and see if that was the right one that we talked about, because I really believe if you're doing something for yourself, then that's going to, that's going to spill over into your classroom. It's going to spill over into everything. And and I mentioned this a little bit in the book. I talk about visiting the Bay of Fundy when I was a kid. It's, it's up uh, off the coast of Maine, uh, Nova Scotia, Canada there. And the, it's the highest tide changes in the world. And so the rivers run backwards and it's the idea we, we give and we give and we give all day. And this is my story with Netflix, right? I came home. I'm not, that's not feeding me to sit for three hours and watch, you know, an entire season of the office, which I would have loved to have done. Right. But it didn't give anything back. And so once you find something that, that fascinates you that you're willing to read and watch YouTube videos, engage with somebody on Twitter, whatever it is, and it, it nothing to do with school, you'll find that it actually does find its way back. Um, and even if it doesn't, you're happier. And because of that, you're going to be better at your job. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that's something that, you know, as this evolves for me, thinking through is probably the most um, energizing thing I've ever done in my career was to do what you're doing, right? Like the podcast and uh, YouTube stuff and and writing a book, everything fed me in that mental, emotional realm. And that energy does sort of trickle over. You want to work out, you want to get better sleep. You want to do, you know, it gets weird. It's, it's self-esteem, right? We feel good about what we've done and you can be exhausted and then make a decision that you don't feel good about. And that does just death spirals. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely get that. Like, it's starting your day in the right way, the right side as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So a lot of teachers, um, you know, this is not just a new thing, but I think especially in the last uh, year and a half or or so since the beginning of the uh, 21-22 school year, uh, we've been dealing a lot more with the disengaged students. Um, you know, I see it at the middle school. And I think, um, you know, mostly at secondary, but also trickles down to elementary. So how can teachers deal with that disengagement um, that's now so prevalent? Boy, um, I, I, this is this is kind of the... Uh, the playground that I've had an opportunity to go into, I pitched an idea of creating these um, getting rid of study halls and learning centers, whatever you want to call them and turning them into electives and no grades, just yeah. what affinity based electives. And so this year we're running one um, that I, I mentioned before and, and it's a STEM based, but we essentially opened up like the first day of class and said, what do you guys want to learn? And they just stared at us because no one's ever given them that carte blanche before and so yeah. it actually took us going oh man this was my whole lesson plan <laughs> i thought i was gonna be <laughs> flooded uh and it came out of uh it came out of COVID. actually we went through complete shutdown at the end of that uh 2020 school year and then in 20 2021 we were cohorted so half the kids would come to school monday tuesday everybody was remote on wednesday the other half would come thursday friday so we had these really small class sizes um but you teach the lesson like 12 times in a week so it was frustrating there but um and they were block scheduled and, and so on wednesdays once that year progressed the kids were coming back group cohort a would come back one wednesday cohort b the next wednesday and so every they got one more you know one more day well, I was like, man, this, what do I do? You know, I'm going to, it's going to throw them off. So I started what I called my science Wednesdays. And I, I would literally open up a blank whiteboard with a spider, like mind mappy diagram and go, what are you guys interested in? And same thing happened, but because there were only 12 or 10 of them, things flowed a little easier. And I would just start getting crazy things that they were interested in, like diesel engines and horses. And, and so I was like, okay, cool. So then I'd have the kids vote. And, um, okay. and then we would, grab another copy and whatever won the vote first would go up on the board. And then I'd, had, what do you want to know? And again, this is a little bit of my PBL training, right? Um, I just didn't really have a great entry event or driving question. I was just asking a question and pure inquiry learning, but they would generate questions. And the one that really hit me was, um, it was, it was a class that I had, uh, I think like six girls in and they all just loved horses. And so they completely skewed the vote and we were going to learn about horses. Now, my curriculum anyway is biomes and environmental, you know, studies, it, it part of it. So I was like, awesome. Let's talk about wild horses. And I said, well, what do you, what do you want to know? Or what are you curious about? And it, it was, it was the most fun I'd had as a teacher. I had, I didn't know all the answers. Number one, uh, I, I didn't know hardly any of the answers to be perfectly honest, but it it made me a fellow learner with the kids. It handed over the marker per se, literally to, you know, to the kids and they yeah. drove everything that we did. So, you know, it's a pat answer to say, well, you need more student driven mm. instruction. Mm -hmm. They need more student centered learning, but it's the truth. The, the question is, what are we doing to learn of all of the ways of what that means? And how does it apply to your, again, your personality? How does it apply in your particular, you know, with your kids um, on any given day in your classroom? And can you do more of that? Uh, we started doing these exit interviews in this, this class that I'm running right now that's really student-led. And, and the things that kids were saying they're like, I don't stress about anything in here. It's a place for me to rest. I get to relax. I don't worry about grades. 
but yet if you were to walk in, it might take you a while to find the two adults in the room because we're on the floor with robots or we're sitting at a table, you know, building Legos and asking questions. We're engaging, you know, with the kids really authentically and some cool ways of the kids helping each other and asking questions. And it's a completely different environment. It's a little crazy to the person who's wanting the kids to be seated and compliant and quiet, which I would argue is not learning it's compliance. Um, But that, the second we got them to see that we really were giving them control, it was a, we don't lack for engagement at all. We in fact have a list of things we haven't yet got to that they just brainstormed. Um, And we use sticky notes for that, which is really cool. It's a side note. You want to try this and get two different color sticky notes and have the kids rapid fire, write down everything that they are interested in on one sticky note and put it in the middle of their table or group and then switch the colors and say uh okay how what what product could we get out of that research so again the horses thing right i'll go back to that if if that's what a group decided on it could be an article which we could talk about content creation and they write a blog or they create a website or a slideshow or a podcast who cares and and we're developing those 21st century skills at the same time it's amazing and to see the kids take ownership, and these are sixth and seventh graders, is, um, yeah, it's inspiring. I love it. It's a blast. Yeah, and it would be great if all schools have the opportunity to do that. I mean, the building I'm currently in has a makerspace area and, mm-hmm. you know, a couple other meeting spaces where they're able to have those type of, like, student-driven activities. It's just, like, how often is this actually happening uh, and maybe it's the teachers who are maybe not as um, wanting, dry, you know, driven to maybe take the initiative as well, I think. The risk, yeah. Yeah, because you could, um, there, there are spaces to do it, um, you know, there's time of the day or you could, you know, plan a separate PBL unit or, you know, something different. Um, but like, yeah, I think there's a lot of teachers still, uh, as before the pandemic, um, that are very driven by like, what is my team planning for this, you know, this unit, right? And we need to stick to the unit and all those things. But, you know, I have seen a little bit more in terms of like Socratic seminar and, you oh. know, um, uh, project-based learning, things where kids are able to, um, you know, show their skills more. But I, I still see a lot of defaulting to the same old, same old. So, um, yeah, I really like that suggestion that you said, especially when it comes to middle scores. Um, we talked a little bit in the pre-chat about the AI, um, you know, chat GPT is a lot in the media right now. And how how are AI technologies going to disrupt education in the next few years and what can teachers do to prepare? Well, first of all, I, I would say like, man, this is fascinating and I don't I don't know the the answer yeah. to that. I can yeah. uh, and and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see. But I have my yeah. my inklings, and one is that the fear around it replacing teachers is not going to happen. So number one, there still needs to be someone intelligent enough to decide what the input is. And I, you know, I've had people say, "Well, this is the calculator of the '80s." Maybe. You know, like the argument yeah. was back then, um, you know, you can't give kids a calculator because they won't know their math. Well, we it turns out that that's, <laughs> there's a shred of truth to that. You still need to understand process to use a calculator correctly. You got to know yeah. order of operations and write some syntax type stuff. The same is true with uh, ChatGPT or whichever chatbot you might be using. OpenAI is, is who makes um, ChatGPT. And 
And I noticed I paid, I paid for it right away. I used it for like, like six hours. So I'm like, pay, you know, like they got my money. But um, the reason why is I started asking it at first, very base level questions. And then I began to get more specific. And, and some of that is really cool. I, I'm going to be using it in a seventh grade ELA class coming up soon. I went in and I showed it to this teacher and, and our school blocked it. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But we don't teach people responsible and appropriate use by saying yeah. no. Yeah. We do it within guardrails and and mentoring. And I get it. The adults don't know how to do that yet with a lot of things either. But um, I, so I went into a room and I said, um, right in front of her, I just, I was like, okay, give me, give me an animal. Give me anything. Give me a name, you know? And so I opened it up and I said, tell me a story about an elephant who it has a problem with his friends and like it just prints out this whole thing about Bentley who finds it funny to entertain his friends. But one day, you know, he comes across some other elephants and they are scared. And so he uses his, his humor and tricks to make them realize that he's, he's okay. You know, and, and it was, and I, I actually gave it, I think it was like a fourth grade level. Right. So I showed it to the teacher. She's like, wow, it's kind of like Mad Libs. I said, exactly. Imagine yeah. now if you could hand every kid yeah. generates a story and then you ask them, okay, change how it ends, change the setting. Um, can you develop another character that comes along? Like I'm not even an ELA person, but I'm thinking this would be so much fun or now take it into an art room. This is where STEM comes in, right? So they, the ELA person does that and you say, okay, you're the art teacher. Can you illustrate a book? And, and then go down and share this book with kindergartners. Can you make sure that this story is environmentally accurate? Are those the animals that would be there? What animal would be out of place? Would that be a funny thing to add to the story? Like that was one example, you know, and, and um, she was still writing, teaching the kids how to write hooks. And I was like, um, can I show them how to treat this? You know, like you could say to it, give me 10 hooks for an article about the, um, the, the civil war. And all of a sudden you have 10. Now you can say to the kids, Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me those 10, um, pick one and then change it. So again, it becomes this, it's, it's killing writer's block. It's not doing your homework for you. And some of that is that teachers come right out and say, we know this exists and it's amazing. You guys are living in a, an amazing time to have this ability. However, you still need to think. And I, yeah. one of the things I hear all the time, yeah. oh, kids, kids can't think for themselves today. That's because we're doing it all for them. Yeah. We're, you know, we're going to read this article. We're going to do this worksheet. You're going to turn it in. I'm going to give you a grade and we're going to move on. Yeah. And like, well, wait, wait, what happened to the creativity and, um, and the choice? So if we could use it for that, I, I could see it making my job easier because I don't need to find an article. I can generate one. And then I can, yeah. I can, you can even ask it to give you an article with 15 grammatical errors. Put it up on the screen and hey kids there's 15 of them you find them go you know amazing yeah yeah i mean it's like when you're doing trying to do it exemplars right of student work or like you said grammar errors and you might not have something like in your file or you know you might not know where it is on your computer and yep. yeah chat gpt just throwing that up there and like you said uh hooks and having kids rewrite hooks and yeah, just coming up with a list of things that um, yeah, you, you might not always find online or that you want to use for a specific um, task. Like, um, yeah, it's like supplementing teaching. Um, as long as you um, don't have it blocked in your school, but 
if you pay for it and use it at home, you could always, um, you know, generate a few things and um, just save those files. So right, and, and, <laughs> yeah. or like, and I think that that you're getting at it. Like, you'll find yeah. a way around it, right? Like, yeah. necessity's the mother of invention. You want to use it, and it's blocked. I took it on my cell phone. But wait a minute. I don't like to let my worlds collide a little, little Seinfeld um, throwback there. But if I open up my school email on my phone and I, I mean, I, I, this again, we talk about cell phone usage with students. Why not model something that's appropriate? Like, so I, I run it on my phone. I copy it. I paste it in email. I send it to myself. Then I walk over to my school computer that's connected to the smart board display thing, whatever you have. And now all of a sudden I pull it up. So it might be a tiny bit cumbersome, but Again, there's a kid in my class and and he or she is struggling with this concept and I don't have anything off the top of my head to give them another example, then I just generate one and I why not just email it directly to him? Hey, you open that up. And now we're going to come and we're going to work on this together. Everybody else is working on that one. You could remediate. I mean, talk about mm-hmm. being able to to like individualize instruction for every kid. It I get it. It's, it's another thing, but if it's worth it, you'll you'll find ways to use it. And the internet, particularly Twitter, is blowing up with teachers saying, you know, oh, I use it for this or I tried this and that was amazing. And like it just it, the sky's the limit. There's so many things you could do with it. But one, please don't be afraid because it's here and it's not going away. So yeah. <laughs> who who better to benefit and to curate it than us? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great um, thing to uh, think of when you're looking into using this in your classroom. Well, as we wrap up our um, reporting today, um, you know, I mentioned you have had several different roles in education as an instructional coach and, you know, STEM teacher, uh, PBL coach. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from your different roles? So I would say, um, I wish I'd gotten out of my classroom much sooner. And I don't mean out of the classroom. Um, I mean, sharing the things that I was thinking about, struggling with uh, learning and sharing them with other people. For a long time, I just closed my door and I said, okay, I'm, I want to just do my own thing. And I think that was maybe a sign of burnout as well. But coming to that point of uh, if somebody else is struggling and I'm not currently, then what can I do to help? And that's where I feel like I am now. I feel like that's where where my purpose lies in these last, you know, six, seven, eight, however many years I'm going to continue to do this. Um, even after I'm done in my particular school district, this is what I want to do. I want to help teachers find a better path forward for the students and for themselves, because I think that a happy, well-adjusted teacher is what's best for kids. And we can find that those two things uh, concurrently. Well, out of everything we talked about on the podcast today, what's one thing you'd like us to remember? Well, I would say just make sure that you realize that you are not a teacher to everyone in your life. So um, you are a a mom or a dad, a, a husband or a wife, a neighbor, a friend, something. And that value of what you bring to life and who you are, uh, can't come from just your job because sooner or later that job is going to go away and you need to have something to stand on um, that is higher than that, maybe higher than you, but but it just grabs you and says, I still have a reason to go on to to better myself and to make a difference in this world that I'm I'm still a part of. That's so important to remember. 
Where can people connect with you and find you online? So you can find me on YouTube. I'm bald guy. Sai was yeah, super clever there. My play on the Bill Nye <laughs> era um, is my, what started off. I did a lot of tech tech tutorials. That's where my podcast, the kick some class podcast is. You can go to kicksomeclass.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at bald Sai. Um, I also do a lot of personal development type stuff on TikTok, usually just in the summers, trying to get out that, that itch of still being that uh, self-help guy. So um, yeah. And, and, you know, if you, if you're going through burnout, um, on my website, I created this quiz where you kind of find out it's meant to be a little bit funny, but also a little bit serious too, about what kind of burnout are you? And, uh, so they can go there and check it out at kicksomeclass.com slash quiz. And it's fun. It's fun. So at least I hope it is. Great. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the out of the trenches podcast today. Uh, thanks for lending your knowledge and your experience uh, to the podcast and have a great rest of your day. Oh, you as well, Dana. It was my pleasure. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.